As many of you may have noticed, the country is divided. For those of you who haven't noticed, the country is divided. On one side is a revolutionary movement to eradicate the sins of the past by replacing them with slavery, poverty, and perpetual rage. On the other side are people wondering why no one will just leave them alone. To find common ground, we as Americans must learn how to discuss the issues. We must learn to do this as Americans, because if we do it as Armenians or Lithuanians, we'll just look ridiculous and have no idea what we're saying. So today, in an attempt to restore the national spirit of bright goodwill that used to exist in a few random Disney movies, I would like to offer some helpful tips on how to have a political debate. Tip number one, always try to remember that reasonable people will disagree. But if they disagree with you, they're hateful bigots who are trying to destroy everything that is good and true about this disgusting racist country. And that's not who we are. The best way to get them to see the light is to lean your face very close into theirs and scream accusations at them until someone in authority comes along and fires them. Then everything will be better. Tip number two, don't forget, no matter how passionately you may believe in something, there are two sides to every issue. Your side and the side that you and a hundred other people wearing masks and armed with batons are chasing across campus so that you can terrorize and beat them in the name of equality. After that, there'll only be one side, and you can forget tip number two. And tip number three, when you hear opinions you don't like, keep repeating to yourself, it's a free country, while you do everything you can to rectify that situation. Using these simple tips, you'll soon be able to end the nation's division. And the nation. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-dee. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. I've said it before, and I will say it again. The future is always male. And what I mean by that is that whatever is happening to young men is what will eventually happen to the nation. You train boys to belligerence and brutality, and you will have a nation of tyrants and slaves. You beat boys into frightened weaklings, and you will have a nation of slaves and tyrants, the tyrants being whichever group of belligerent, brutal men took the country away from the weaklings. The only real solution is to train young men to principled virility so that both they and the women they protect will be free and productive people. All this may or may not be fair, but it's the way it is. This is why I'm not joining in the excitement over the new movie about Mr. Rogers. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. To be clear, it sounds like a fine film and I might eventually see it, but I'm not looking forward to it with the moping nostalgia I notice in the press. If you read the reviews, they all say things like, Mr. Rogers takes us back to a less divisive time, or Mr. Rogers reminds us how to be good neighbors. And that would be true if it weren't crap. For those of you who don't recall it, the Mr. Rogers show was absolutely intolerable unless you happened to be a three-year-old or a mom who needed to plant her three-year-old in front of the TV while she took a cigarette break. Fred Rogers modeled decency and Christian values, which is great, but he also modeled a misguided form of Christian manhood that looks so much like metrosexual wimpiness, it's really difficult to tell the difference. The Christ who cleansed the Jerusalem temple and who faced the full power of church and state with an unmovable commitment to the truth was never that man. He was instead a steely man of integrity who was willing to sacrifice everything to say what needed to be said and to do what needed to be done. 
Are we teaching that sort of manhood to today's young men, or are we teaching them that if they boldly speak the truth, they will be marked down by the professors if they are not crushed by an angry mob created and controlled by power-hungry authorities? The answer to that question is obvious. Men, real men, are tough because life is dangerous. Men cultivate strength and use that strength for good because some men will use it for evil. Men speak plainly because the truth is the one and only thing that will set you free and keep you free. A nation full of lovable Mr. Rogers is a nation suitable for four-year-olds and three-year-olds who are controlled by soft-spoken, sweet-talking, all-powerful government authorities. If you really want to have a beautiful day in the neighborhood, call John Wayne and tell him to bring his guns. So we're going to talk more about what happens when we lose the leadership of men. But first, let us talk about the wonderful stamps.com. I love this because I live in LA and the post office, which is five minutes away, is an hour and a half away. Once you get into LA traffic, that's where you are. That's where you go. But you don't have to go to the post office to get the great services of the post office. They are all in your computer when you use stamps.com. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, stamps.com can handle it all with ease. You use your computer and you can print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. And once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It's that simple. Plus, with Stamps.com, you get five cents off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Don't spend a minute of your holiday season at the post office this year. Sign up for Stamps.com instead. There's no risk. With my promo code CLAVEN, you'll get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a digital scale. No no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Claven. That's stamps.com. Enter Claven. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Just sit in your home going, how do you spell Claven? There are no E's in Claven. <laughs> no in Claven. I just make it seem that easy. Another Kingdom, the new episode is out for everybody today. Listen to it. You will want to hear it. It is really, this is where the story just gets incredibly good, if I say so myself, and I do. You can tell because it's me talking. All right, let's get started. Here is the news from the mainstream media. The case for impeachment has never been stronger. The evidence never so riveting after yesterday's explosive testimony. Kicking off what promises to be another explosive week in the impeachment inquiry. Uh, we're bracing for potentially an explosive opening statement. Those are some of the fireworks from today's explosive testimony. Another explosive day of testimony. High stakes heading into a potentially explosive week of testimony. The most explosive thing. This is a slow motion explosion. Major breaking news are right now. The explosive, truly explosive opening remarks. I, I can't emphasize how explosive this is how explosive, very explosive. And I think it will be explosive. Wow. The first day of public testimony in the impeachment inquiry, opening with a bombshell. We got the bombshell. Yesterday was a bombshell. This has to be one of those bombshell days. A, a bombshell. And it was bombshell testimony. Bombshells. One bombshell after another. Bombshell after bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> It was explosive. I hope you got that. I hope you didn't miss how explosive, truly explosive it explosively was. That's them talking about the impeachment hearings, which were obviously a damp squib, a complete, you know, 
You were talking about manhood in the opening of this and, and the fact that this Mr. Rogers image, and I don't mean to attack Mr. Rogers himself, but I just think that that is an image of Christian manhood that was sold to the generation after mine and people, I guess you'd call them millennials, uh, that where you go into church and your pastor is sweet and he's nice and he's talking about, you know, it's like, right, except a tank would roll over this guy because, you know, anybody would roll over him. And you remember Pajama Boy? I don't know. People probably have forgotten about people. There are people probably too young to remember him. During the Obama administration, which was scandal-free, it was totally scandal-free because the press turned into Pajama Boy, who was an image of how they were going to sell Obamacare. And it was this picture of this little wimpy guy with glasses sipping hot chocolate. And it said, where? And he's in a onesie, a checkered (laughs) onesie. Their ad was, this is seriously their ad, wear pajamas, drink hot chocolate and talk about getting health insurance. This was their ad for Obamacare. And it was a kind of a companion piece to the life of Julia, which was (laughs) their their ad for women about how they were going to take care of you from every second of your life, every second of your life, the government was going to take care of you. And the, and I remember it was like under Barack Obama, Julia has a child. You know, like, really? Is that where her child came from? Because I thought maybe she had a husband. But no, there's no husband. There's nothing in her life except the government. And why? The idea, why did they do that? The idea that men are little boys allows the state to take over. It allows the state to become the man in the house. They did this to black families with, with welfare that said, you don't need a man. We'll just give you the money to take care of your children. It's been great. It's really, really been great for black families and it's not great for anybody. And so the answer to this was this kind of overdone version of manhood that is Donald Trump, this kind of, you know, absolute unbridled virility that just breaks everything in the room, which is not, not necessarily the answer. And so the left's answer to that is castration. It's basically, well, men are women. A man, a man can have a, a man can be pregnant. Are you kidding? And a man, every child who has a penis should be dressing up in a dress. Why? Why are they doing that? Well, let me put it to you this way. Let me put, put this forward to you. I, I've said this before, but it, 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 re, it bears repeating. I should repeat it every day, every single day. George Stephanopoulos works for Bill Clinton's presidential campaign, silencing women who claim, among other things, that they were raped, that Clinton exposed himself, that he chased them around the room, that he molested them, that he pinned them against the wall. George Stephanopoulos is the guy who calls up the press and says, if you run this story, it's going to damage your reputation. He basically bullies these women into silence. George Stephanopoulos then becomes the top newsman at ABC, the head newsman at ABC. ABC gets the story that Jeffrey Epstein, Bill Clinton's friend, is torment enslaving 14-year-old children. He's got 14-year-old girls. He's abusing them. They get the story during the Hillary Clinton campaign, and the story is killed. And when it comes to light that the story is killed, what does ABC do? Does it hunt down the person who killed that story? Get me that guy in my office. His job is done. Anybody who killed the story about this uh, sex trafficking piece of garbage is done. No, they hunt down the person who tried to release the story, right? Who released the story of how they killed the story. That's the person they're hunting down, okay? And George Stephanopoulos, top news guy, I'm not saying he had anything to do with it, but I'm not saying he didn't either. And he was seen escaping from the prison after Jeffrey Epstein hanged himself. I'm just joking about that. But he did go to Jeffrey Epstein's party after Jeffrey Epstein was convicted of of being a uh, a sex criminal. All right. So that's the way your Democrat Party has been handling women and treating women, right? That's the way they've been treating women. 
Donald Trump comes along and makes a crude and uh, unseemly remark in private. He thinks he's in private, but he's being taped in private. He makes a crude, unseemly locker room remark that if you are famous, women will let you do anything up to including grab them by the crotch. A true statement. I mean, that there are women who will do have that, uh, who who treat celebrities like that is an absolutely true statement, but it's untoward. Women take to the streets. They put on their pussy hats to show that they have their vaginas where their brains are supposed to be, and they take to the streets, protest. Oh, my goodness, this is a terrible thing. A guy who has done nothing to them, no, no matter how he ran his personal life, no matter what kind of stuff he was talking about, but nothing on Bill Clinton an accused rapist, George Stephanopoulos running the news department at ABC, which silenced the um, the story, which killed, spiked the story about a convicted mass trafficker in young women. Nothing, nothing. Ladies, do you think you're being used? Do you think that they think they have control over you? You are. You are. They're using your emotions. They're using your sense of, uh, of victimhood that they help create to to wield you as a weapon against the people who want you to be free, right? I'm not, I'm not making excuses for Donald Trump's language. I'm simply saying there's a big, big difference between making a crude statement in private that happens to be true versus this web of corruption that hid the mass uh, malfeasance against women, that hid it and continues to hide it and continues to seek down and destroy to destroy anyone who gets that story out to the press. It's men who stand against tyranny. It is men who stand against tyranny. If women didn't have the vote, no Democrat would ever be elected. This is the truth. And again, this has nothing to do with individual women. I'm talking about generalities. I'm talking about the numbers. They do not want men to be men because men will stop them from taking over. So we saw these impeachment hearings and they were just a disaster for the Democrats. You know, as long as they were in private, uh, in, in secret, feeding information to the Democrat press, and the, which is all the press, and the press was then feeding the information to a gullible population, they were doing pretty good. You know, they were getting some support for impeachment. But the minute people saw with their own eyes what was going on, and they were like, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't get what's, uh, I don't get it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Adam Schiff was on the Sunday programs trying to sell this thing. And Chuck Todd is, you know, Chuck Todd's spokesman for the Democrat Party who masquerades as a newsman on NBC, asks him this. You've said that you can continue to investigate while also compiling your report. Um, how do, what does that look like? And, and, and is, are, is that more for show or is there a, do you have some evidence that more investigation is going to happen next week? Certainly not for show. I mean, there's more work to be done, but at the same time, we've already accumulated uh, quite overwhelming evidence that the president once again sought foreign interference in an election, conditioned official acts, a White House meeting that Ukraine desperately wanted, uh, as well as $400 million of bipartisan taxpayer funding to get these political investigations that he thought would help his reelection. So, uh, you know, we view this as urgent. We have a, another election in which the president is threatening more foreign interference. Uh, but at the same time, there are still other witnesses, other documents that we would like to obtain. Uh, but we're not willing to go the months and months and months of okay. rope-a-dope in the courts, which administration would more than love for us to do. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic <laughs> things I have ever heard. 
At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> I don't even have to comment on Adam Schiff anymore after that. But the thing, the thing is, everything that Schiff says is basically untrue. I mean, nothing has come out. There's been no proof of anything. There's been just a series of bureaucrats who basically felt that they were in control because you were in your onesie drinking hot cocoa and all the men were sitting around going, can I have my health insurance, please? That's the, what, what they thought was going on. So they took over. They took over. And they, when Donald Trump comes along, and, and by the way, you know, you talk about Donald Trump doing inappropriate things. He does inappropriate things. He's not a politician. He's got a big mouth. He does inappropriate things. So what? So what? You know, it is far, far, far more inappropriate for a guy like Lieutenant Colonel Vindman to make decisions and say, well, the president, you know, was violating our interagency uh, consensus uh, there. So, you know, it, it is ridiculous. So anyway. Adam Schiff is now in this position, and all the experts, all the, the commentators, except on this show, say it is inevitable that they are going to vote for impeachment. They're all saying it's inevitable uh, that they're going to vote for impeachment. On this show alone, really it is alone, and here, again, uh, as the ghost of Christmas yet to come, I am not giving you the shadows of things that will be. I'm simply giving you the shadows of things that may be. I think the Democrats are walking into the jaws of hell if they vote for impeachment. And some of them know it, too. You know, there was a lady from WAPO, which is another Democrat uh, institution. What's her name? Rachel. Uh, sorry. Ra I, I, oh, Rachel Bade. Yeah. Rachel Bade, who says she's hearing this from the Democrats. Listen to this. I think what we're starting to see is, you know, when the impeachment inquiry was first announced and they started to do these depositions, a lot of people are asking, can Nancy Pelosi peel off any Republicans? And I think um, in this final impeachment vote, but I think increasingly the question is becoming, does she lose more Democrats? Because Republicans have really sort of um, unified behind the president. And although two Democrats voted against the impeachment inquiry rules that they voted on a couple weeks ago, you know, we are hearing behind the scenes there are more moderates who are getting cold feet. And it all comes back to these ads and people being afraid of being punished for voting to impeach the president. So instead of picking up Republicans, and remember Nancy Pelosi said that impeachment shouldn't happen unless it's bipartisan, but instead of picking up Republicans, they're losing Democrats who have to run in Trump-favoring states. Of course they are, because it's a nonsense, because the whole thing is a nonsense. And what, you know, and even on the left, there was a, an article in the uh, Wall Street Journal uh, op-eds section today that said the left, the far left, hates, is completely uninterested in the impeachment because it's not about anything they care about. It's not, you know, Ukraine. They don't care about Ukraine. They, you know, they, they're happy to have uh, the Soviets return. They're leftists, right? So they don't care about this either. What do you think cocaine Mitch McConnell is going to do if they give, push this into the Senate? Do you think, see, if he's a fool, which we know he's not, he'll just vote it out again. He'll just say, I, I reject this. And then everybody will say, oh, he didn't even give it fair consideration. If he is the cocaine Mitch we've come to know and love, he will drag this thing out forever. He will call witnesses on Hunter Biden. Listen, if if Trump was asking Ukraine to investigate corruption involving Hunter Biden, we have a right to know whether Hunter Biden did something that was needed to be investigated, right? He will call Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff says, oh, I won't. Adam Schiff is saying the people who didn't testify in front of like John Bolton, who didn't testify are deserting their country. And he's asked, well, will you testify? No. 
<laughs> he says he won't testify. He says, I have nothing to testify to, which is like, you know, like the mobster. They want to bring him. Yeah, I'm not testifying. I got nothing to testify to. You know, <laughs> so they are really they are walking in to the den of Mitch McConnell and he can drag this out forever. He can keep people who should be uh, senators, who should be out campaigning for president. He can keep them in the Senate. He can make this a misery for them. I think they would be fools to do it. And in my imagination, I see Nancy Pelosi in the back room with people like Adam Schiff, because Schiff will be just utterly humiliated if they don't go forward, saying, you want the presidency or not? Now, maybe they just think they're going to lose it anyway. Maybe they don't think it matters. But I think they'd be nuts to go ahead. We'll see how nuts they are. They've been nuts up till now. So they may, you know, it may be true that they go ahead. But I think they would be crazy. Ancestry, DNA, doesn't just tell you which countries you're from, but can also pinpoint the specific regions within them, uh, giving you insightful geographic detail about your history. Ancestry.com is so much fun. It, it really is fun. I did it. It really is a great time. I found out that I was descended from a tribe of winged reptilian beasts, which is, I, I, you might have guessed, just from the way I look. But <laughs> you can trace the paths of your recent ancestors, learn how and why your family moved from place to place around the world. Mine, because they said, get those beasts out of our country. And they chased us out. But <laughs> you can discover origins in over 500 reasons, uh, regions to the most connections to living relatives. No other DNA test delivers such a unique interactive experience only. Ancestry DNA uses the world's largest family history database to give a deeper and more detailed DNA story. Save big on Ancestry DNA with special holiday pricing and spark meaningful conversations around the holiday dinner table. Give the gift that can unwrap their history, head to my URL at Ancestry.com slash Claven. <laughs> I haven't even asked you yet to get your Ancestry DNA kit on sale today. That's Ancestry.com slash Claven. How, how, what, how did you spell that? <laughs> so the IG report is coming out. Now, this is the interesting thing because this entire impeachment charade has been to mask the malfeasance, and I've now used the word malfeasance twice in one show, which is a record, I think, is now of the Obama administration, the scandal-free Obama administration, which spied on Donald Trump, right? And so now there's a story that has come out. CNN broke the story, and it was uh, in the Wall Street Journal as well. And remember, you remember Kimberly Strassel came on from the Wall Street Journal and told us not to think that this IG report is going to be a big deal. It's supposed to come out in full on December 9th. And she said, don't think it's going to be a big deal. It is the Durham report from the DOJ that's the big deal. But here's from the Wall Street Journal. The Justice Department's inspector general is expected to conclude that there was a proper legal basis for the government's application to monitor a former Trump campaign foreign policy advisor. This is Carter Page. But that errors and lapses in judgment were made during the process, according to people familiar with the matter, the usual uh, sources. Among the findings identified in the report is that an FBI lawyer altered an email related to the surveillance of a former Trump campaign advisor, Carter Page. People familiar with the matter said Friday, the conduct didn't change the watchdog's overall conclusion. So in other words, they're saying the IG is going to say, no, it was right to monitor Carter Page, but somebody tinkered with the FISA warrant, uh, with the information on the FISA warrant. Now, first of all, there's so much about this that needs to be uh, unpacked. The fact that it broke on CNN, CNN now has uh, Andrew McCabe, right? He's a CNN commentator. They've got all these FBI commentators, uh, the former uh, general counsel. I'm getting this from Andrew McCarthy at National Review. James Baker is a frequent CNN guest. So this is the people spinning the IG report before it comes out, uh, hoping to make it um, 
hoping to make it as as unimportant as they possibly can. This is a deep state enterprise to make it seem that the FBI did nothing wrong. But first, first of all, the first thing you should remember is that Rod Rosenstein, this is back in June of uh, last year, June of last year, he was before the House Judiciary Committee doing an oversight of the FBI. And Matt Gates had him on the ropes. And he was saying, did you, when you signed these FISA reports, did you even read them? Did anybody brief you on them? But I want to play the second cut by Rod Rosenstein, where he's trying to explain the process by which he uh, approved of these FISA warrants. Listen to this. We sit down with a team of attorneys from the Department of Justice, uh, all of whom review that, provide a briefing for us about what's in it. And, sir, I've reviewed that one uh, in some detail. And I can tell you, sir, that the information that's public about that doesn't match with my understanding of the one that I signed. So, so in other words, he was told what was in the FISA warrant. He was briefed on it by guys like Peter Strzok and all the other FBI uh, uh, characters, and he signed off on it. And then it came in and he said, wait, that's not what you told me was in this report. Now, obviously, what we're talking about is the fact that they used this steel dossier paid for by the Clinton campaign as evidence that they should be able to, to spy on Donald Trump. Now, what they're talking about, and this is something that Adam Schiff does all the time. You heard him do it before. He keeps saying that Trump denies there was Russian interference in the election. That's not the case. He keeps saying that when Trump says there was Ukrainian interference in the election, that means he's denying that there was Russian, uh, you know, uh, interference in the election. That's not the case. There can both be Russian interference and Ukrainian interference. And according to Politico, the Democrats were working with the Ukrainians to get dirt on Donald Trump or to get things that were helpful to Hillary Clinton. So none of this is what Trump is saying. You know, all of it, all Trump is saying is I didn't do it. I'm not inter- I'm not with the Russians. I'm not working with the Russians, which turns out, as we know from the Mueller report, turns out to be absolutely true. And that's why Trump is saying, let's have a trial. Let's have a trial. You know, throw me. Don't throw me into the briar patch. I don't want a trial in the Senate. You know, of course, he wants a trial in the Senate. It, it'll, he'll waltz back into the White House if there's a trial in the Senate. But what Andrew McCarthy, who has been the gold standard of reporting on this at the National Review, points out that this whole thing about whether it was right or wrong to spy on Carter Page, whether or not the Russians interfered, is only half the story. That's the uncontroversial half. Most people agree that the Russians, as always, were tampering with our election systems using, uh, you know, social media. It all turned out to be kind of nothing as far as I'm concerned. But still, you know, the Russians were tampering with it. The FBI's full premise, says McCarthy, was that the Trump campaign was complicit in Russia's election interference, and there was simply no evidence of that. And so what is an issue is whether there were adequate grounds for suspicion of a Trump-Russia criminal conspiracy enough to justify the FBI and the Justice Department in taking the fraught step of investigating the incumbent administration's political opposition during a presidential campaign. And this, just to remind you, this means that that the Democrats' argument, the argument the Democrats are making is that Obama spying on, tapping the phones of Donald Trump's campaign was okay, was okay because they had this dossier from Hillary Clinton saying it was okay. But Donald Trump asking the Ukrainians to investigate corruption that might have involved Hunter Biden and Joe Biden was impeachable. That's their argument. And I'm sorry, but that's an argument that the public will understand. And they will say, well, wait a minute, that 
doesn't make any sense to me. Why should one thing be impeachable? Why should Trump's behavior be impeachable when it was an offhand remark that, you know, and even if there was a campaign to get the investigation done, there's every reason to believe there is corruption in, in Ukraine. There's reason to believe that there's reason to suspect that Biden's using aid to get rid of a prosecutor was a way of defending his son from those charges of corruption. There's reason to suspect that there may not be proof of it, but there's reason to suspect it he might have been, Trump might have been justified. And we know, we know the FBI was not justified in linking Trump to the Russian interference. I mean, this is the thing. The argument they're making makes no sense. And it's so obvious at this point that this is a political thing, not a justice thing. It's so obvious that if, even if Trump's behavior was inappropriate, nobody gives a rat. This is the thing. Nobody gives a rat. You know, this is another moment where... Um, uh, Bill Maher had Adam Schiff on. Bill Maher had Adam Schiff on. This is Bill Maher talking to Adam Schiff. And I wish you could see the look on Adam Schiff's face. He looks like he'd been hit in the head with a two by four. Listen to this. But this was our big gun. Now it just looks like you're stalking him. Uh, I, I think in the eyes of the people who don't follow it that closely, which is most of the country, was here's the thing about Bob Mueller. He's like the last person, maybe the last thing in America that left and right agreed on. Left and right basically agreed, this is a guy of honor, this is an honest guy, this is an honest broker. Whatever he says goes. Americans are not into details. Don't read it to me, Bob. Just give me a thumbs up or thumbs down. The fact that he was like, uh. <laughs> I, I don't, if you, were, yeah. if you couldn't impeach before, how are you gonna impeach after? Or should you? That's <laughs> a good question, and we're going to find out whether they will or not. You know, I installed a new Ring doorbell in my home today, and I discovered something about Ring. You know, Ring is always talking about the fact that they have they have doorbell cameras and they have spotlights that go on. They can tell when somebody steps onto your property and the spotlights go on. And they say that Ring is trying to help you stay connected to your home. So even when you're away, you can look at your phone and see who's at the door, and it does all that. And it also protects your home and makes you safer. But, you know... One thing about being safe is you also want to feel safe. And the thing that I really like about these ring doorbells is that anytime you want, you can take a look around your property. You know, if you're lying in bed at night, you hear a noise or something like this. If you have a couple of these set up, you can really get a look at what's going on and without going out there with a baseball bat and creeping around the house and all that. And, you know, it's, it's not just important to be safe. You also want to feel safe. And ring can help you do that. And as a listener, you have a special holiday offer on a ring starter kit available right now with a ring video doorbell 2. That's the one I'm putting in. I put in and motion activated floodlight cam. The starter kit has everything you need to start building a ring of security around your home, no matter what this holiday season brings. With ring, you're always home. Just go to ring.com forward slash Clavin. That's ring.com forward slash Clavin. Additional terms may apply. And anyone comes to your door, just say to them, how do you spell Clavin? There are no easy <laughs> He says that immediately call the police. We've got to take a break here for a moment from uh, Facebook and YouTube, but come to dailywire.com and you can subscribe. You will get your Another Kingdom episodes a few days early if you subscribe. And there is going to be today a live discussion with fans, with me and Michael Knowles talking about Another Kingdom and answering any questions uh, fans have. That's at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific. Are we taking questions from anybody or are we just taking questions from subscribers? Do you know? Sorry? So only subscribers, see? Another reason to subscribe. The subscription 
by the way, the subscription is now a very high value subscription. It really is. It's 10 lousy 10 bucks a month, 100 bucks for the year. With the top subscription, you get this handcrafted uh, diamond uh, studded <laughs> leftist tears tumbler. You get the leftist tears tumbler, uh, which is, again, rolled on the thighs of virgins uh, in the Soviet Union. And it's like <laughs> just a wonderful, a wonderful thing. But you also get all the uh, Ask Me Anythings we have. You get the app. You can use, which is really a terrific app. It is a high value subscription. And you can tune in today at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and listen to me and Michael Knowles discuss this final season of Another Kingdom and answer the questions of all subscribers. Come over to dailywire.com and subscribe. All right. Um, so, you know, I, I talked about the fact that. On this show, basically alone on this show, you heard that this decision to impeach was not going to be as simple as everybody said it is. And it's just not. I, I think that they are now talking, should they do more hearings? Are there going to be more hearings after Thanksgiving? There, will they delay? There is a chance. And again, these are not the shadows of things that must be. They're the shadows of things that might be. I think that there is a serious chance that Nancy Pelosi is going to come out and say, while we feel we have improved uh, our point on impeachment. And while we feel we would win this vote, and I think they would win the vote if they took it, we feel that this should go, that the, uh, it's election year, it's 2020. We feel that this should go before the people. And I think that there's a, a chance that's going to happen. And this election, you heard here that the election, uh, that that decision was going to be fraughter, to quote Stephen Sondheim, was going to be fraughter than they thought. The other thing you heard here is that Donald Trump was going to get a lot of black support. Now, you heard this a long time ago on this show, and everybody was saying, no, 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 that's never going to happen. Roger Simon, uh, my pal, writing over at Epoch Times, has says there are now two polls, two new polls, saying Trump has gained popularity with African-Americans bigly. Both polls, Rasmussen, which usually tilts Republican, and Emerson, which is considered even-handed, came out almost exactly the same, putting Trump's support among blacks at an astonishing 34%. Typically, Republicans poll in single digits among blacks. Why? Because blacks aren't stupid. I mean, that's why, that's why I think that that's why they're so desperate. In the same way they're desperate to eliminate men because men will stand against their overweening authority, they're desperate to bring uh, people in from South America and Mexico into the country because they know that blacks are waking up. They are waking up to the fact that they have been screwed. They had their black president. Their lives did not improve. They have Donald Trump, the evil, racist, horrible Hitler Donald Trump, and things have gotten better. Things have gotten better because it's not about who people are. It's not about what they say. It's about what they do. It's about what policies they put in place. And when you look at the, you know, I, I always, I've always wanted to ask one of the uh, black guys, especially guys who sometimes ask me questions uh, at my speeches at universities. I've always just wanted to say, how can you bear, how can you bear to have a political party constantly telling you how helpless you are? And the, the absolute condescension and corruption. Here is Elizabeth Warren, who, by the way, I think is finished. I think she they is done. They call her Pocahontas. <laughs> they call her Pocahontas. I think she's done. I think releasing her health care plan, even though she was dishonest about it, there were enough details where everybody just said, oh my God, this is a absolutely destructive plan. She was campaigning basically against charter schools, against 
school choice. And people showed up for uh, school choice act, uh, activists showed up. One of them, a lady named Sarah Carpenter, confronted her and said, you sent your kids to private school. All we want is what you have, what you have through your money and through your wealth. We want through charter schools. Here's the confrontation. We just we're gonna have the same choice that you make for your kids because I read that your children went to private school. No, much, much public school. But we we even if it was public school, it probably was the best public school. I can't pack up and say I'm leaving Hyde Park and going to Germantown. That's our suburban area because I can't afford it. Mm -hmm. My daughter can't afford it. I understand. So we want to make what we got great, whether it's charter or traditional. And really, public schools are charter in yeah. where I come from. And we make parents know that they charter schools are public schools too. So let me just say, I appreciate nothing more than how much you care about your children and your grandchildren and getting them educated. And that's all I want to do. If I don't have the pieces right, then I'll go back and read it. Go back and read it, I'll please. Go back and, read it and I promise you, I the promise next time you see me, if it's reading the way it's going to benefit well, our children. I'm not making promises. So go back and read it. Yeah. Elizabeth Warren, who? Pocahontas? <laughs> Look at her cheekbones. <laughs> so, so. A school yearbook obtained by the Washington Free Beacon. You heard Elizabeth Warren said, my kids went to public school. A school yearbook obtained by the Washington Free Beacon indicates that Warren's son, Alex Warren, attended the Kirby Hall School for at least the 1986-87 school year. That's a private school. Uh, Warren's final year as a professor. Uh, the college prep school is known for its academically advanced curriculum and offers small classes. A spokes person for Warren said Elizabeth's daughter went to public school. Her went, son went to public school until fifth grade. Now, my son went to public school in a um, it, through elementary school because we lived in one of the wealthiest communities in the country and the public elementary school was great. And then after that, we put him in private school at great expense. I mean, it was not easy. It's not easy for a writer to put his kid through private school, but I did it because it was that important to me that my kids got a good education and that I had a say in their education. That's all this lady, Sarah Carpenter, is asking for. And so when, and you heard her say when Elizabeth Warren said, you know, I, my kid went to public school when she lied, when she told a half truth, let's say, when she, when she said that, the lady answered, yes, but it was probably a much better public school than my kids go to. There's one reason and one reason Elizabeth Warren used to support school choice. She supported school choice until she started running as a Democrat candidate for president. Why? There's only one reason. School choice is good for people. And, it, and by the way, I, I want, I want poor people to have school choice because I want their kids educated because I want their kids to thrive. Not because I'm such a great guy. I, look, I mean, look at me. I'm obviously not. I want their kids to thrive because when people thrive, they start to believe in freedom. That's why I want them to thrive so they believe in freedom. I want them to work their way up so they say, hey, wait a minute. Why is the government taking all my money? Why is the government not allowing me to run my business the way I want to run my business? Why is the government letting the big guys, you know, put up so many regulations that the big guys can pay for lawyers and pay off politicians to cut through the regulations? But I can't. That's what I want for the kids of poor people. That's why I want them to get an education, why I want them to thrive. Elizabeth Warren used to support school choice until she became a candidate. Why? It's because school choice hurts unions, corrupt teachers unions, and they are corrupt. Corrupt teachers unions do not want the competition. They do not want kids being taken away from them and doing better than they do because they will protect their employees. They will protect teachers before they protect 
students. In LA, you can molest a student. Seriously, you really can and not get fired. They put you in what they call a rubber room. So you're still getting paid, but you don't lose your job. You don't lose your paycheck. It is, it is absolutely amazing. It is absolutely amazing what they will do to protect the teachers unions. The teachers unions and the lawyers run the Democrat party. And that is why it's corruption. It is pure corruption. And at some point, at some point, you know, people vote for the people that their fathers voted for. That's who they vote for. It takes a long time for people to stop to break that chain. It takes a long time because in order to do it, it really is true. In order to do it, you have to say, oh, my father was totally wrong. Or you have to say, well, the party's changed in some way. And that's, those are hard things for people to do. People do not get that level of independence easily, right? So it takes a long time. If it is true that 34% of black voters are, are supporting Donald Trump, then that change is beginning to come. And that is why they're trying to uh, funnel all these foreigners illegally into the country, hoping that their children will vote for them because I think blacks are catching on. This is pure. It is pure corruption to support the teachers unions over these children. All right. I want to have a final reflection that goes returns to what I was saying about uh, women and men. You know, one of the things, one of the weird, weird anomalies of logic. I mean, it is just false logic that the feminists always argue. If you say, you know, Men are stronger than women. Their answer is, well, Ronda Rousey could beat your ass. You know, you go like, yeah, I'm an older guy and Ronda Rousey is Ronda Rousey. Maybe so. That's not the point. That is not what we're saying. We're saying you line up men, you line up women. The men are going to beat up the women. That's that is why men should not be doing women's sports, even if they're wearing a skirt and taking hormones. Doesn't matter. So. On one of my trips recently, I watched a movie called Anna, which is uh, by uh, Luc Besson. Luc Besson, you know, uh, has this company called um, Europa. Luc Besson doesn't like Americans, but he has made a living basically getting kind of older American stars to kill Muslim people. That is what Europa, that's where Europa's money comes from. Films like Taken and from uh, Paris uh, with Love, with John Travolta, these action heroes, older action heroes who will probably work for a little less and they go on these shows in which he shows you Muslims, uh, Muslim criminals. And since nobody else was doing that, that made a lot of money. So he makes this film, Anna, and he wrote and directed this film. Uh, And here's a little bit of it. It's about this absolutely gorgeous a girl who is troubled, she's drug addicted, and they come and they recruit her for the, to become a KGB assassin. She is played uh, by Sasha Luce, and here's a scene where she goes before the head of the KGB, one of the heads of the KGB, who's Helen Mirren, who does a wonderful wonder, just eats the scenery uh, in a terrific scene. I don't see what I can do with her. She has no higher education. She's a junkie. Clean for a year. And her marks are excellent, whatever the subject. Look here. Marksmanship, knives, 100%, driving. She's not the profile we're looking for. KGB needs smart agents who can size up situations, react quickly and appropriately. I thought we made our needs perfectly clear. She has been trained with that in mind. Her general knowledge, her ability to generate options on the spot, she's highly intelligent. It takes more than intelligence to act intelligently. Dostoevsky. Like a captive cast to the bottom of a deep. Try well. I know not who I am, not what awaits me. Yes, it's clear to me that in this cruel and obstinate struggle with Satan, I'm fated to emerge victorious, and mind and matter shall fuse in perfect harmony, and the reign of universal will shall begin. How did you know that? 
I work for KGB, baby. <laughs> so, so the show is kind of a second-rate Red Sparrow, but but entertaining until the moment when Anna walks into a room and just beats up every man in the room, and then it becomes absurd. I mean, it's like John Wick. She's suddenly John Wick, but John Wick somehow makes some kind of crazy sense where this woman beating up all these men is utterly absurd, and I got completely lost interest. I mean, the, the minute that happened, I was kind of liking the film. The minute that happened... I stopped liking it. Now, when I was preparing for Another Kingdom, to write Another Kingdom, I was reading, rereading, actually, a lot of the famous chivalric poems from the Middle Ages, like Orlando Furioso by Ariosto and The Liberation of Jerusalem by Tasso. And there are famous female knights in this, in uh, in. Uh, Orlando Furioso, there's a famous knight named Bradamont, and uh, she's a heroine who goes out and she can f- beat all the men. And in Jerusalem, the uh, liberation of Jerusalem, there's a famous knight named, um, what's her name? Uh, uh, Clorinda. Clorinda is in that. And these are, you can see them in Game of Thrones. They have that character. Uh, what is her name? Brienne of Tarth. Brienne of Tarth is a descendant from those, those basic uh, characters in those old medieval chivalric tales. What's the difference? Why is it so off-putting when you see it on screen? And when you read it in the poem, you don't feel that way. And the reason is simple. Screen work is literal. Things that happen on screen are literal. At least Brienne of Tarth was a great big uh, burly woman, so you had some kind of belief in what she was doing. This woman in Anna is a slim model who would never be able to do any of the things she does, and she's beautiful, and that's great, and all this. But the difference is this. The difference is this. In these poems, these poems are essentially, they're not really about war. They're really about Christian war. They're really about fighting for Christ. And of course, women do that just as much as men, sometimes more than men. So the women warriors actually represent something in the female soul. They're actually symbols of something in the female soul. Their warrior ethos, the fact that they're strong defenders of God, the fact that they're the work that they do, creating homes, creating children, creating lives, creating the future, uh, actually is part of the war to defend the faith. They are defenders of the faith. And that makes sense as a metaphor. The minute you see it on screen, it becomes absurd. And one of the things about, I've often said, is that a culture that lives off pictures is a stupid culture. A culture that lives off words can become an intelligent culture. And the fact that we see these women warriors, women punching men and the men go rolling uh, ass over tea kettle out the door, it's, it's not just stupid. It is absolutely undermining of the truth. And so when we think of women as defenders of the faith, as strong warriors for the truth, as strong warriors for family, as strong warriors for the future, all of those things are true. But when you show them you know, these slim little girls beating people up, you're just telling a lie that actually undermines the strength of men and undermines the strength of women because it's just not true. Got to stop there, but we'll be back and continue the conversation tomorrow on The Andrew Clavin Show. I'm Andrew Clavin. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Austin Stevens and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay, and our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant Director, Pavel Wydowski. 
edited by Adam Saevitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. A new poll shows President Trump earning 34% support from black voters. Meanwhile, impeachment hearings wind down, Ruth Bader Ginsburg winds up in the hospital, and another 2020 Democrat enters the race. Then Harvard and Yale students interrupt the big football game to protest climate change or whatever. And the New York Times gives us the dumbest article on the internet today. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.